Black Tech Green Money isn't just about telling the stories of successful black entrepreneurs. It's also about giving actionable and wealth building strategies that help you protect the future of our communities. That's why we're pleased to be supported by State Farm Insurance. State Farm also believes that we must invest in our communities to achieve economic growth by sponsoring programs like the AXO, which rewards high school students for their academic achievements. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. You know a spot, but not just a spot, the spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots, being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-feet of torque. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. What's up, family? I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of Street Politicians, the place, place where, where the streets, streets and politics meet. meet. What's good, everybody? What's oh. good, family? Street Politicians is hot. Number one. We've had a lot of things going on for the last few weeks. Um, you all know that we spent six weeks covering so many different aspects of the gun violence awareness and uh, reduction and prevention movement, um, we have had advocates on. We've had law enforcement on. We've had elected officials on. We've had victims. We've dealt with women and how they are impacted by gun violence. And, and we um, had shooters, too. We had, we, well, we absolutely have. Yeah, I mean, our brother shooters. Samson Styles, who was on, uh, the young man from Wheelchairs Against Gun Violence. I mean, we, we've really Every tried aspect. to cover, Kareem is his name. Uh, we've tried to cover all the aspects, but there's so many more. And beyond the fact that there's so many more aspects, there's so many other people that yeah, are doing work yeah. um, that have different ideas about the ways in which you can uh, reduce gun violence and the ways in which we can just increase peace and 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 increase positivity in our communities. And so that can't be the end. Uh, we did want to focus for six weeks so that we could give people examples and information about where to get started or how to keep working in their own communities. Uh, we've been doing Doing this work for some time. It does not always get the attention that it deserves. If we post a video or post the show, we may get several thousand people, which thankfully, at least, you know, thousands of you pay attention to our show and watch the videos. But when we post something about the hottest trending topic, we have thousands upon thousands upon thousands, you know, of folks who, who tune in. That's just the reality, unfortunately, of people being attracted to, um, you know, sometimes mess, other times just things that, um, you know, make you feel yeah, light, trendy, make yeah. you, you know, things that's trending. And so, uh, I, but, but I think it is important that regardless of how many likes and shares we get, 
that we still do what we know is necessary. And there's somebody out there who's able to go back and follow the six-week series Mm -hmm. and the six episodes and, and really sort of write down different ideas that they may have found and heard that will help them to enhance the work that they're doing in their communities. Definitely, man. Um, you know, we want to highlight that. We want to make sure that people understand because we always get, like I always say, we get backlash about what we talk about when we talk about um, police, you know, brutality yeah. and police violence against us. And how, why you don't talk about it? And we do. And we so, do. So, you know, and, and we took six whole weeks to focus on the gun violence that going on that's going on in our communities those people impacted, those people doing the work to change and, you know, and trying to heal the community. So, you know, it's necessary, you know, and we we actually need more. Absolutely. More yeah. I mean, we could have gone we on. We could have gone on. There's so many different yeah. people. It wasn't assets. enough of law enforcement for me. Like, yeah. I think that there, because we had a former chief, um, which is important, but he obviously can't speak officially for the NYPD or any other police department. Yeah. Um, and I think we need to have more dialogue with law enforcement, and as you've been saying, people who agree and people who don't Absolutely. agree. Yeah, I, I have no problem having conversations with people that I disagree with because, you know, I can get their point of view. You know, you want to make sure that you get someone else's point of view. A lot of things about police, and I'm not keen on, or I don't really agree with a lot of the practices that they have. Right. You know, and so I want to see the perspective. So I can understand why do you think it makes sense? Right. Why, why do you think this actually makes sense? And either agree or agree to disagree. And we still got to do the work we got to do. If it's something that you know goes against the culture, goes against our people, that violates our civil rights, we're going to make sure that we stand up and protest against those things. But if there are practices that the police want to do that make sense within our community, then we will embrace those. Right. You know? it's, right. It's, we just not anti-police all the way. Well, you know, we will... Our ultimate goal is to abolish police because right. we, we want communities that don't need police. We want to be able to walk outside and not have to think about crime. And that only means that we have to eliminate poverty. Until we eliminate poverty, crime is going to exist. We understand that. But so until we do that, we're going to figure out ways. But there's a few weirdos out there that even when you eliminate poverty, they're still going to do some things. I mean, yeah. And that's the part that I'm now, because I think we have, through the research and work that we've done, and the, the study that we've been engaged in alongside so many other advocates, we pretty much know what the community needs and how to eliminate policing mm-hmm. and strengthen community public safety. We, we, we have that. We could talk about that all yeah. day and night. But no one, I still haven't figured out, and that's the part that I'm working on. What am, what am I doing with the serial murderer? Um, the serial rapist. Well, those, I'm those trying are to men- figure those, those are, things those out. Are mental, those are mental things. You mm-hmm. know. So I don't you think, think if we, it's the same methods apply. The same methods apply. I think when when you identify that somebody is mentally unstable, you know, what I'm saying you don't the the, you know, the um mental field can diagnose that. So yeah, it's definitely mental. You know, and if we identify that prior to it, then the police is you know. Don't have to get involved. You put people inside institutions. You make sure they monitored. Because usually you can tell when somebody's a serial murderer. I think they when they show you know a lot of these different shows talk about serial murderers and they talk about how they identified that they had mental issues way when they were younger and some people just looked it off or just didn't pay attention to mm-hmm. it and, and it just fostered into something that was more. So I think so. You think there's a service that we can provide. 
a person that is a pedophile um, from mm-hmm. when they're young. Of course. Those but how don't... do you know when a person is nine or eight that they're going to like young well, kids? Well, I don't think I don't think all of those things are able to identify all the time. I think I think when we have school, I think schooling, you know, and the mental health and um, just like psychological mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, just having mm-hmm. someone to talk to, I think those should be very prevalent mm-hmm. in all. I agree. Public schools, like you, because you have to be able to understand the mind state of a child and and see and foster it and see what what they think, mm-hmm. you know, to be able to identify because you can tell a lot because when you. Most parents and things like that, they identify things in their children. Mm. They can say, you know, I remember at young, he was just very angry all the time. And I used to try to figure it out and try to wonder why he was just this angry person. And I didn't know. And then they see those. And then they, they're not in the mental health issues. I mean, in the field. field right? So they don't really know. They just identify that there's something wrong. Right. You know what I'm saying? So when you have mental health people inside schools and, and they're, you know, they Experts, if I guess, right? They specialize, yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah, specialize yeah, yeah. and they specifically deal with each child. You know, I think that should be a mandate that mental health dealing with children. Each child has to have evaluations and talking to and being able to talk. Those are things that need to. And I think as you do that, I think we can circumvent and get in front of a lot of crimes and especially mental health criminology, such as you know serial murderers and pedophiles. So you say, okay, the same. Methods apply even to the worst criminals and and bad actors in our community. I mean, I think there's no way that we're going to be able to circumvent every crime. I mean, what I'm talking about, the majority of them are preventable. The majority of crimes are preventable or able or foreseeable. Mm -hmm. You know, either you can prevent them or you can foresee them and and circumvent and get in front of them. I, I believe that. I agree. I agree. I guess that's 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 right. So speaking of prevention, it brings me to my thought of the day because you know how to thinking. So you know, the last few weeks, um, there's big debate. There's even protests happening because Mayor De Blasio, the mayor of New York City, our city that we live in, yeah. um, has said that beginning uh, August thirteenth. The rules have now changed to um, if you go to a restaurant and you, uh, first of all, they don't care about masks. They're saying you have to prove somehow that you're vaccinated. I haven't even really looked into how you're supposed to prove it, but you have to prove that you're vaccinated in order to be able to do in-restaurant dining, in-room dining, and some other things in this city. Um, And, you know, September, a month or so later, it's going to be mandatory to the point that the health department will be out checking the restaurants and I guess walking up to your table saying, let me see your paperwork or let me see, I don't know what they're going to... But they're trying to prevent COVID from spreading. You can't prevent COVID from spreading. They've already... Like, I just... This is why these things just don't make sense. Well, you can't... You can reduce it. Reduce how? Okay. You can reduce it. But I don't think just... well, first of all, masks definitely have reduced the spread who, of you, absolutely because we that? know it from our from own what? homes. What we know homes? it from our, from our own homes. Absolutely. When I I I, I know, you, you know from what? my own life and from others around me uh-huh. that people, even people who are caring for a person who has COVID, right? Uh-huh. Even folks in the medical field, 
They wear their masks. And these, and by the way, masks are not a new phenomenon. The way that we are wearing masks now is probably not healthy. I, I agree. It's not healthy for you. But masks, is, they're not new. Medical professionals have been using masks to prevent the spread of viruses and other things forever. And so we know that when people first, when doctors and nurses were coming into contact with COVID uh, patients, before they figured it out, they were getting sick like crazy because they didn't know. And then when they realized, oh, shoot, I have to wear my mask and I might need the, uh, what's the, you know, the, the blue one and then something else to cover it and not just the, the, the fancy ones. Then you started to see a reduction in the amount of healthcare professionals who, again, your doctor's doing your, I don't know, maybe I'm just making up something. The doctor may have come in on a GYN appointment and usually they don't wear their mask until they actually start to examine you, but they'll come in the room and they talk to you. They want to sit down, have a good conversation. How you doing this and that? It's good to see you. Da, da, da. And maybe shake your hand because that was a thing. Doctors used to shake your hand. And then the next thing you know, you touch your face, you rub your eye, and that's how you're spreading things. But once we knew about social distancing, wash your hands, wear your mask, it began to reduce the amount of people in the healthcare profession and in other places that were getting COVID. Now, does that mean that it's going to totally stop it? Absolutely not. But I know that your chances of transmitting COVID to another person or any virus, when you have washed your hands and you have something that's protecting you and that person, it's just common sense that the, the virus is not going to jump through the mask. That's just not realistic. Well, I don't, I'm not saying they jump through the mask. That's, most of these masks don't prevent everything from going through anyway. So if you're talking to the mask and, and it's coming out the side anyway. Yeah, but like that's why not, they tell you wear your mask no complete, properly. These, the, even if you if you look at the average person with a mask, when you talk, there's places that the air can go through. That's why you can still wear the mask. Right. It don't go out 100%, but you still have air pockets within the mask. It doesn't yeah, but you, completely But you realize that you can catch... I didn't say it completely. I never I never used the word completely. I said reduces. So that's like you can catch something when you have on a condom. Mm -hmm. But the chances of it being transmitted is less. So if it was 100% or 95% without the condom, you put the condom on, you might be down to 30, 40% or even less than that. So I'm saying that it it is there is a reduction based upon mass. But I'm saying in this situation, they're not even asking people to wear masks, right? They're saying you have to be vaccinated. But the problem is that we know you can still catch COVID if you're vaccinated. So I am so very confused as to what we're doing. So and and so people's constitutional or civil rights or some shit is being violated by so, telling folks they can't go sit in a restaurant. I'm trying to understand why we've gotten so comfortable asking people about their little HIPAA stuff, right? Because there was supposed to be HIPAA laws that prevent you from being able to ask another person. It's like asking me, are you on birth control? Like, uh, I don't, I, I don't know if I have to answer that question, especially if you and I are not engaged in something that, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think, I think, I, I, And I think that's why it's not the mandates. I think these are threats, right? And they keep saying them. And I don't think they constitutionally can stand up. It's like, you know, 
concerts have been saying, oh, you have you have to have this and you have to have that. And a lot of people I know ain't going there showing no nothing. They're having their tickets. They're asking you a question or they tell, they're putting out broadly that you need to have these things so that you think, well, I got let me go get it. And 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 that's a, it's a it's a, a trick. It's really like a trick because they're not really. I can't see you walking to the restaurant and asking you for a vaccine card. But they're going to I, well, because I, they're going. I to haven't get... seen I haven't seen yet where that's happened. Well, not yet because I mean, is, any... New York is going to be the first city that I it's can't... ever happened in. But at the I same time, my thing is, I am so torn because on one side, I completely understand that you have workers, you got healthcare providers, you essential workers, as they say, you've got people out here who can't afford to get sick or like me, I went to Houston, Texas. But that's why those people, if they feel, this is what I'm trying to it's say. It's impossible though. What is not? If, okay, if, well, if I didn't you, hear what you was going to say. Exactly. So I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. If you feel that you can't afford to get sick, then you need to take the vaccine. You can't you can't tell somebody else who don't feel like they can't afford. If I feel like my immune system is way stronger than everybody else's, I probably get sick once every five years with a cold for two days. And you gonna tell me that I need? I'm just saying. I've known you for longer. I'm just saying. Okay, you probably you probably seen, but for the most part, I don't really get sick. Like, and if I do get sick, I immediately my immune system fights it off. So you telling me that because you feel like you're susceptible. That I need to take a vaccine? No, you need to take the vaccine. Well, but 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 and 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 every time we have this conversation, we always go back to, and I'm charging our entire team with us finding professionals that can talk with us about this topic. Because again, no, we do need professionals. Certain things is common sense. No, but we still need professionals because even what we may think is common sense, it's like you know, you go to the doctor's office and you say, well, common sense to me. My mom said to me the other day, I told her, I said, Some, I said, something's going on with my eye. I really don't know what to do. It's, it's going through changes. And she said, well, my eye was going through the same thing. And she started saying, I just put a warm compress on it. But when I read what the medical professionals said, they are saying basically the warm compress is the worst thing that you can do. But from her perspective, her common sense tells her, put the warm compress on it because this is what she's used to using. So just think about this. Mm-hmm. If somebody, you get a medical professional mm-hmm. that says, don't do this is the worst thing that can happen. Mm-hmm. And you do it and it works for you. It didn't work. It didn't work. No, I'm just trying to say. But I'm just trying to tell you that that's the issue. But what I'm trying to that's tell you, if, if she said, listen, it didn't work for you, right? No, no, no. It did not work for her. Okay, so then she was giving you advice that didn't work. Didn't even make sense to give you the advice. But that's not the point. What it, Because this is, this is the issue. Okay. The issue is... It's like she's been putting a Band-Aid on it and it's getting her from day to day, but it's not solving the problem. Okay, she and didn't so give what you... we, when I went and read up on it, the, the, it's not that the, that the warm compress doesn't make her feel better in the moment, but in terms of healing the problem, the cold compress is actually better. And there was information about why, because the warm creates another sp- swelling and this and this and that and a third. So it's making it feel better, but she still has this eye problem for the last several months. And now that she's using the cold compress, it's actually helping to speed up the healing process. Okay. So what I'm suggesting is that when people who have actually studied, and this is the conversation you and I get into often, I have a concept from me visiting prisons, right? I've been inside. 
I've listened to what a bunch of people have to say about it. And I kind of think I know stuff. But when I'm speaking to you, someone who spent seven years inside the system mm-hmm. about it, I know that there's no way if I haven't slept there, lived there, ate the food, done the things, experienced the culture, I can't possibly know more than you so about me, the, so about you, being and, in prison. And everything you're saying is right, right? So what only thing I'm trying to tell you is, based on what I'm saying, you are 100% right. They have people that study prison, right? There's people that go to school every day. Right. And they study about prison. Right? They've never actually been to prison. Mm-hmm. Right? They've talked to people who've been to prison. They can give you, they can give you a whole thesis on prison mentality and never actually been in prison, right? Mm-hmm. So who is more of a, a professional? See, what I'm talking about is this life experience. If I if I live my life every day and I get sick, right? And I do certain things for my sickness that heals me. And you tell me that. Based on your studies, the thing that healed me is not right. Right? Yeah, no. That's what I'm trying to explain to you. So your professional you can't do that. But this I'm trying to your professionalism just means that somebody studied a book. My real life experience, I don't put somebody's studies over my real but life. But you experience. but the thing is, I don't like but, but here's happen. the issue. But here's okay. the issue. Here's the issue. You haven't experienced the mutation of viruses. You also have not experienced having diabetes and also having a virus. Mm-hmm. So you want to assume that someone who has studied it to the perspective to the extent that they got diabetes person at the table, they have a myson person who's pretty healthy at the table, they have another person who, you know, might not be, you know, may not be diabetes and all of that, but they obese or they have different issues, and those people are coming together and working with this professional who has studied viruses, I want to assume that that person has a little bit of a step above in terms of knowledge than we, than, we, than we do. But what I'm trying so to tell all you I'm is suggesting, in the medical, but, but, in the medical field, just, you have so many different people that have different ideas. I understand that, but that, you can ask but, 10 but different that doctors is like, not... My my studies tell me this, and other people say, "Well, my studies say this." And but you but that's study- my point. My point is my point is that when we, as people who haven't studied it, we don't have certain health concerns. We don't have everybody sitting at the table. I think that what is responsible is to have somebody there who may be able to provide perspectives that can help deal with a wide array of individuals. Because if me and you, my son and Tamika, just kicking it about COVID, we have our opinions. We have a lot of the same. We're pretty healthy. You know, we have a lot of the same things. We try to eat as best as possible. I'm worse than you. But, you know, these things, right? We're we're both um, slim in shape. You know, we're not obese. We have all this. So we could kick it and talk about it and have a certain idea. The problem comes in when we are on platforms speaking to a broad audience of individuals. Then we have a responsibility, just like we're bringing practitioners in that are dealing with gun violence from different perspectives that you and I may not know, or we learn things and we like, oh, okay, that's what's up. Now I understand this, or I always knew that, but it sounds better when it's coming from somebody who's doing it every day. We have a responsibility to apply the same thing to talking about a disease that has killed, or at least the effects of the impact of the disease has killed over 600,000 people. That's all I'm suggesting. 
I'm, I'm saying not. just like we handle everything else where we bring professionals to the conversation so we're responsible with the information that's going out into the world, we have a responsibility with COVID because it's too many people that are impressionable that's listening that could go and try to apply what we're talking about and they mess around and apply something that we don't even know because we don't have some of these form, you know, these, uh, what do you call them, pre-existing conditions and other things that put people's but lives that, in danger. That's so that's my... But I don't talk from that perspective. No, you do. I talk yes, from you do. Because you give. That's healthy. Yeah, but no, but but and even but and, there have been healthy that, people who have dropped dead to COVID, and, and everybody's been, like, and "What's been wrong people with you?" Who haven't been healthy. Exactly. That so, so that's so why that means professionals. That nobody are, knows. Well, no, I wouldn't say nobody knows. I would say your information is valuable, and so is theirs. I would say that when I'm walking down the street, a homeless person, a houseless person tells me some, drops some gems on me that's so powerful. I'm like, wow, you know what you're talking about. But I also am not going to go ask that person. If I say to them, well, have you ever bought a house? Have you ever, well, no, actually, I never did have a house. I've been homeless most of my life. I'm not going to go ask them about the FHA loan application because there are other people that actually have either filled them out and or they actually have helped run a program related to that. So the, the homeless man might tell me, save your money. Don't try to be so cute and fly that you don't put your money because look at my situation. Look at what I've been through. Exactly. There's a better way. And that that's knowledge. That's but it. now I want to go and apply to, for a house. So I got to go talk to the FHA loan people I'm, who understand the application process. And you put the two things together and then you got to be, what did, what did we learn on our last show of gun violence, right? Chief Banks said, we as police, we do a great job because of course he's going to say that because he, he's a former chief. But what did he say? But we police community. and community together, man. Nothing about us without us. So there we go. That's my thought of the day. Got it. <laughs> so now we have um, our guests to come on. You know, we talk so much sometimes that we get all the way off track. But uh, we are talking about cannabis. Cannabis. We're talking about the cannabis industry. I'm trying to figure out where to park the little bit of dollars that I have. I'm on it. So that I can buy me a big old house so they can put it in a newspaper and say Tamika Mallory lives in an expensive house. I'm I'm trying to get me a two, three, four million dollar property somewhere. So I want to take my little resources and park it in maybe cannabis, whatever they got that is up and That's up and up. Some- that Let's I can give me some, 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 I need a little change. A little bit of change. A little change. I need a little change. I ain't mad at you. So man. Cannabis to, is something I'm looking into, man. You yeah, know? you really hard on it. Oh, no, for real. Because, you know, a lot of our people have been disproportionately affected by the arrest and put in prison, you know? Yeah. So why not now should we be able to benefit when it's starting to become legal? You know, I think they should, the people who lock, was locked up for, for cannabis, the flower, as they call it now. The flower? You know, what is that? Flower. What is a flower? That's what the weed is. Weed is a flower. So what? That's who in the dad That's start? the connotation that they want because now it's medical and it's is no. It, they want to take the stigma of the legalism of it. The flower. I've been I've been studying <laughs> the, the flower. flower. Get the hell out of here, man! It's, it's been weed. Yeah. And the weeds. And that's the criminal connotation. Those are the names. So they have changed the language. The people Ooh, who white are really people, in the boy, cannabis. I'll tell you, white yeah, people yeah. something. Yeah, I was because I'm talking to a guy. Like, I'm really meeting. Talking to a white man? A man, yes. You mean with a white man, yes. buddy? No, it's not a white man. He's actually um, a Latino. 
Oh, and okay. we've been working on something right now that's gonna be big. Hopefully, does he work with white people? Of course he does. Because you know our manager. Because the white people got sure. money. You know, unfortunately, that's us I'm black and, and brown people, we don't have all of the financial. We resources do have we it. Need. We just don't use it the right way. We, listen, if we only re- represent two percent of the no, wealth, but we have one point five yeah, trillion dollars okay. that we spend so, a year. So think about on, how many. So think like about, me, I'm okay. gonna go straight to the store today since I'm already downtown. And go around yonder, pick me up many, a pair of shoes. Think about how many trillions of dollars everybody else That's got. true. If we That's only, true. If That's we a got fact. that, right? And we re- but black people have always taken this much. Yeah, but all the time. So my thing is this. If we could take this much and do that, why not take this much? And do, you understand <laughs> know what I'm saying? I'm tired um, of always starting right, at the bottom. Right, right. Like, we ain't always got to start at the bottom, man. Right, right. We on the back of the bus. So somewhere. we have our first guest. Uh, that's coming up in this episode. I mean, it's, it's so many things run in together. We finished this six-episode uh, series on gun violence, and one of the things that continued to come up in every single conversation is this conversation around eradicating poverty mm-hmm. um, and uh, and the harm that's been caused on our communities based upon uh, past laws put in place to oppress and to really sort of demonize our people uh, for things that now are being treated responsibly. So the heroin crisis and you know other drugs, they were looked at as um, criminal issues that our people needed to be thrown in jail. That's the war on drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, but now we see that, uh, you know, if you have an opioid addiction, it's seen as a public health crisis and there's so many services. You can just kind of walk up to the health department and other places and get treated um, right. for dealing with that. And, you know, I we, we always talk about, um, I went through a real serious addiction and I can tell you that rehab was like, you know, really, really, I was, I was like dealing with my problems. But also, because I'm conscious, because like Dick Gregory says, when you put the glasses on, you see things not as someone will want you to, but you see them exactly as they are. So even coming out of my addiction and dealing with the pain associated with trying to get clean, I still noticed that, wow, white people have like real services to get healed. You know, and and it doesn't exist or certainly didn't exist in our communities. But this is like really a nice place to go to get treated. And they actually have drugs that they can give you that helps to wean you off of the other drugs. Whereas when when we were younger and I saw people trying to get off of heroin and other addictions, they were like basically just thrown to the side and they had to sweat that joint out. Or you had to go get on um, methadone, it. which may basically- Yeah, to throw you in the room and just be like, shake it out. And that was it. Throw up, shake it out. Maybe we bugging. Maybe that was TV. Maybe they did no, have- it was. It wasn't... Look, our, our staff, they, I'm not staff, excuse me, my love. Our, our production crew, they like, no, it was go in the room. That's yeah, it. You had to figure that thing out. Yeah. Man. Before we go to the next segment and have our special guest join, We're going to take a quick break for our sponsors. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something we care deeply about here at Black Tech Green Money. State Farm Insurance also cares about the growth of black communities. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help provide financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. We want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. It also requires active sponsorship of programs like the AXO, 
a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements. Along with funding programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to educational achievement of black and brown youth that has awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to date. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful VC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. How do we level the playing field for all entrepreneurs? 55% of white businesses survive the startup phase, while only 4% of black businesses do the same. So I want every black entrepreneur to know about the One Million Black Businesses Initiative. The One Million Black Businesses Initiative is an award-winning program created by Shopify and Operation Hope. They're on a mission to start, grow, and scale one million black businesses by 2030, driving wealth creation for the black community. Out of 6 million employer-owned businesses in the U.S., only 2.3% have black ownership. This program gives black entrepreneurs tools and resources to level the playing field. From free business coaching to tailored training and extended free Shopify trial. Shopify's made a 10-year, multi-million dollar commitment to the program, and it's working. The initiative already started, supported, and engaged with over 334,000 black businesses, helping them operate businesses that sell anything from skateboards to coffee beans to apparel. Business owners love this program. Simone Harvin, founder of SC Creative Group, says, The 1 million black businesses experience for me was unlike any other program I've been a part of, primarily because it was for us and it was by us. Here at Drink Champs, we are always interacting with our listeners, many being black entrepreneurs. Shopify is one of those platforms that empowers and emboldens entrepreneurship. So chart your own path for business success with the 1 million black businesses initiative and Shopify. Bring your business to Shopify with an exclusive offer at shopify.com slash B-E-N, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash B-E-N. That's how we own it. So our next guest um, can help us talk about this and kind of just go through, uh, you know, what we're seeing happen. And, and I like to call her a change maker. She's sort of like a change maker and um, an expert on this area of cannabis and particularly looking at the African-American and Latino communities and our benefit and or not enough benefit from um, what we see happening with the cannabis industry. Her name is Jeanette Horton, and she is a co-founder of the New Leaf Project, um, which is an organization that was established to address communities harmed by the war on drugs and to help build wealth through the cannabis industry. Thank you so much, Jeanette, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having us. So give us a little, a little synopsis of exactly what it is that you do. Exactly. Great. So what we spend um, our time on is really bringing that mission to life of uh, building generational wealth for the black and brown communities most harmed by the war on drugs via the legal cannabis industry. And that means we um, have spent a lot of time funding uh, BIPOC owned, primarily black owned cannabis businesses, 
because there is a you know big gap. There's the wealth gap. It's what we started with. Um, really, that wealth gap and eradicating poverty that impacts uh, Black and Brown communities, but specifically Black communities more than any other. And the entrepreneurship period is a really, really effective way to build generational wealth quickly. And we don't participate in entrepreneurship enough, Black communities, because we haven't had the access and we haven't had the capital. So we spend a lot of time uh, solving that. And we believe that the cannabis industry and the taxes, the new tax money from the cannabis industry really gives um, gives our community, gives the Black community an opportunity. And we're seeing this uh, state to state to redirect that money to things like funding cannabis businesses or any other Black business and solving some of those generational wealth problems, again, using cannabis, using cannabis taxes. Wow. So I just have a question. There's a lot of people, I know a lot of my friends you know, growing up in the Bronx who were locked up for weed and, you know, some of them spend an extensive amount of time in prison. What are, what are the programs like to, you know, not only try to get their records clean based on the fact that now everything is legal, but how are they giving those same people who they locked up opportunities to be entrepreneurs and benefit now off the budding cannabis field? So that's really important to talk about state by state because that's where this is happening. So um, the programs that are out there are two things. You first talked about automatic expungement and I just wanted to stop on that um, and point out that not every legal state has put in place automatic expungement. Mm -hmm. And that's um, ridiculous, I mean, full stop. So to have people still walking around with cannabis possession um, on their record, for example, not even cannabis possession is automatically expunged when the industry is now legal is something every state needs to do. And then um, the second thing are um, the kind of programs that New Leaf Project is. So the city of Portland, and this is where we really got our start, the city of Portland voters said that when they enacted taxes on cannabis at the register, so retail sales and cannabis taxes, that they wanted a portion of that to go to rebuilding the communities most harmed by the war on drugs. And New York just recently passed uh, cannabis recreational legislation and said the same. 50% of taxes needed to go um, to reparative justice. And that's important for states to do that. And for our community as a whole, states accountable to that. Mm. We're really making the change um, by telling states that either they can't legalize or they can't, I mean, they really need to get accountable to their values if they're going to stay legal to have those programs that invest those taxes. And then what New Leaf Project does is we work directly with people um, with folks who have cannabis um, charges on their record. Many of our business owners do. And with folks who are still in prison, I'm actually talking to a mother um, coming up this week whose son is still in prison and how we can you know, help him get, get started now. Um, and then de-incarceration would be the last thing I'd say. Folks should not be in prison um, if it's a cannabis possession charge that got them there or if it's even a distribution charge that for now we no longer consider, um, consider that illegal. It's, you know, it's really time for us to hold these states accountable that make a lot of money off, off this plant. So the, the investments that you're making in and funding that you're giving to people, is it that they've already started and you're just trying to help them along or are you uh, for, or can I go to come to you and say, this is what I want to do? And for you to help show show me the steps of how to get involved. Yeah, absolutely. We work with both businesses who have already started and businesses who are really just people saying, I'd like to be in this industry. What should I do? Do you need money in your hand? Like what I need money in my, I'm serious about this. So 
I'm asking very specific questions. Do I need money in my hand to come to New Leaf Project and say, okay, I have 25000 50000 100000 which I'd love for you to tell me what is a good amount of money to have and, and, and to say I'm ready, you know, to start. And, and also what I need, um, you know, to have like the best credit or no criminal background, like what would be some of the other things that I would have to have in a package that you would look at and say, this is someone I can fund because I can see that you will ultimately be successful in the field? Great question. You don't have to have money. You don't have to have good credit. We absolutely love to talk to people who have a cannabis charge on their on their record. Um, you don't need to come with anything because that's you know what starts to create those barriers. If I need you to come with good credit, then we start to not be able to fund black businesses, black owned mm-hmm. businesses. So yeah, no, we don't. We fund based on what we call character. Um, we give character-based grants. Are you an entrepreneur who's eager and excited and really passionate and doing the work? Cannabis is hard. There's a lot of research you'll end up doing on your own. Um, and, and But that's true for any industry. Um, but cannabis is a particularly hard place to start a business. It does take a lot of capital to start one. Yeah, I was, I, I was just telling her that I was in conversation with somebody, you know, really focusing on it. And they were just talking about the numbers and what it takes to start it. And then, but the numbers of what it actually grosses yearly is phenomenal. Mm. You know, it is, it's just unbelievable. So I think, I think we, we really need this. We need education because a lot of our, our people in our community don't even know it exists. A lot of these people, like they small, like you have really little small time, just people in the hood selling weed and they don't have any felonies. They don't have anything and they don't know the process of actually doing it legal. Mm-hmm. You know, and they want to do it legal. They say, hey, what do, and they don't know about the process of doing it. They know they've studied the strands of weed. They've created strands. They've done everything that they could do, but they just don't know how to legally transfer over to the process. So I think mm-hmm. that's something that we definitely need to talk about. They've got the consumer research. You know what? You- <laughs> they got the consumer <laughs> yeah. research. Yes. Right. They do. And that's authentic. And that's one of the reasons we love um we love founders with experience with the consumer and with the plant because that's going to make you a better entrepreneur and it's going to make you faster to market with innovation. I mean, it's real. Um, you're bringing, bringing the consumer research. That's real. And it's something that the executives who are white and in suits who don't consume the plant um, don't know anything about. Don't haven't worked with thousands of folks coming in now the door asking for the next strain and telling you the last one was fire. That's consumer research legitimately. We'd love to fund those entrepreneurs who have that experience. All right, well, we got, I got a couple for you. Right. <laughs> Good. Good. Do you do you do you have or are you interested in starting a dispensary yourself, or is that not the direction that you're traveling in? You know, no, because I counsel all of our entrepreneurs not to start dispensaries. Mm. So that's the first thing. Um, in terms of the money in the industry, making. Um, good money right now is not in the dispensary business. And um, you need volume, you need volume in retail to, to make good money anyway. So retail game is usually tough, but especially with this particular plant, the market is crowded, taxes are really difficult. You can't do typical tax write-offs. So I can get into the weeds and I won't. Um, but the first thing is no, I wouldn't counsel people to start a dispensary business. And I don't know, I don't wanna start a business. I say all the time, I'm not an entrepreneur. There's a problem that needs to be solved, getting funding to entrepreneurs. And that's really what I care about so that we can build generational wealth. Mm. It's a 
a window of time when a small business can start in the cannabis industry because it's not federally legal. That's actually a benefit for small businesses because state by state, you can kind of start smaller. When Amazon does start in the industry, you know, they've got the capital to take over the entire market. <laughs> but they, they won't yet, they won't till it's federally legal. So these small businesses have this opportunity to really build wealth. And I just wanna do what I can to be that joint that helps helps black businesses take advantage of that. So what so, what does she, I mean, what do you suggest? That's what I was about to say. Like, so what do you suggest? What, what would be the, the, the path, the entry point to, yeah. um, to actually do it? There's so many things. So let's just stay with plant touching if you wanna, what you call touch the plant, you could grow. Um, so cultivation is a really great place to, to make good margin. So where am I gonna make good money? What's more profitable business? And that's cultivation. So is processing. Processing is really the most profitable. It's uh, more capital to start. But I'm very, um, very excited about a black business who might come to me and wanna open a processing. How do we help you fund that? You talked to ask me kind of how much money processing is going to take you five hundred thousand or more. Is to that start. like growing it? Like process? Think. Good question. Processing would be taking the the plant matter, the flower, and turning it into oil, turning it into mm. hash, turning it into. And there's some less expensive ways to process, like hash. I just mentioned. Um, but most people are looking for the kind of oil you might dab. Mm -hmm. um, and is know. that, can you, I know I'm, we're asking. No, no, some, this is real question. I mean, I'm deeply into this conversation. Okay. I, I got to call you afterwards. Okay. Shout out to my sister friend, uh, Amber Foster, who connected us. Where does this whole THC versus CPD, like, tell me about that. That's a great question. So THC is the compound in the plant that um, gets you, quote unquote high. That's you feel the elevated feeling you feel as euphoric effects from THC. CBD is another compound in the plant that most people find is very useful for sleep or for pain. Um, and some people find is better for them. If THC tends to make you paranoid, mm. CBD will make you feel, will usually for those same folks makes them feel calm and helps with anxiety. So there are a lot of, lot of lot of anecdotal evidence about how great CBD is. And I say anecdotal because we can't do clinical research on any of this yet, but you know, hundreds of thousands of people love CBD. CBD is now federally legal. And so one counsel that I often give people is start a CBD business instead. If you want to start a THC drink business, or you want to even start, we had a company who wanted to sell sell blunts, um, like pre-rolled blunts, and then they pivoted to CBD because it's less expensive to start a CBD business because it's federally legal. Um, there's a ton of competition, but again, if you know your product and you know your market, those CBD blunts are doing wonderfully. Um, and that was a pivot they made because it's a, a better, it's a less expensive way to get into the market. Hmm. Wow. This is interesting. So what are the process somebody would have to reach out to you? Do you have a website? Do you have and what kind of stuff do they need where mm -hmm. you know they got this shit together and they're not just coming to you with, you know. Like, yeah, we just want to sell weed. <laughs> you know, we, we tell us what, what we need. 
You know what? So we talk to everybody. I'll start with that. We get so many emails from folks who say, I want to start a dispensary. And we say, great, let's talk to you. And then we counsel them out of that. But, and we also, <laughs> That's right. we get people who say, I have no idea what I want to start. And then we say, great, we'll talk to you too. We talk to everybody. Um, so you don't need to come with anything, uh, which is a part of breaking down those barriers because we always get told we have to come with something, right? We've got to be literate or in order to vote. And so we don't, we don't have any of those barriers for folks. And you can look us up, newleafproject.org, and it's N-U-Leaf. And then um, send us an email, info at newleafproject.org, and we'll set up a meeting with you. I can't believe that you exist. Like, it's, this is like, yeah, we're gonna feel, I, I, I can't gonna believe it. You're going to get taught us because we're going to need yeah, questions. So if you had, if it, I'm sorry, and I know y'all are going to kill us, but hopefully we can take up this little bit of time. Do you have to go now, Jeanette? No. Okay. Let me ask. So, if, so if you have a hundred thousand, one hundred and fifty thousand dollars right now, which means you got a little bit of something, a little jump start, and then and I call New Leaf and I say, listen, I've got, I've, I, I have this hundred and fifty thousand dollars. I have a family member um, who has a great credit um, and also uh, re- resources, and then I have two friends that were also in the industry at one point. They were street hustlers, you know, so they know the consumer marketplace. What would what would, would would I have an advantage? Not, and I understand you're saying everyone you try to work with everyone, but would you look at that and say, okay, they're really ready to jump into this particular space, and let me try to help counsel them into that. Yeah, our level of support would would increase for someone who came with all of those resources only because if you come saying, I don't know what I want to do, we give you some resources, we ask you some questions over the phone, we tell you to schedule a follow-up call with us in a month and we'll see how you progress. <laughs> um, right. We do the same if you have 150,000 and all of those things, but if you have 150,000 and the consumer experience, you are ready to start a business. Mm-hmm. You're ready and we're ready to help you launch it. Um, and we've still got a number of questions. Are you mobile or do you want to stay in one state? Do you really want to start a business? Maybe you want to invest with that 150,000 mm-hmm. um, and help build other businesses, which isn't something we do often, but you can actually get those you know, multiple streams of revenue if you think about you're investing your 150 in another way. So we'd, we'd be on a different path because you're, you're ready to go and the faster we can move uh, for ourselves, for our community, the faster we can secure a piece of, of this industry. How many women are in the industry right now that you know of Black women? A lot, actually. Um, mm. We, there, it's a, and so a lot is, didn't really come across right. I know a lot of Black women in the industry. This industry is not represented well by Black women, low numbers of Black women in the industry. Mm. So there's not, a lot of diversity in cannabis. It's less diverse than corporate America where I came from. So there's a problem in terms of diversity, but I know a lot of great black women in the industry with cannabis businesses um, doing amazing things. I think, yeah, I think that, 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 feeds, that feeds to the process. What I was saying to you, a lot of us just don't know, you know, and, and a lot of us want to get into it. A lot of people are, because if you go to the hood, most of the, the black people is in there selling weed. and they Not <laughs> and, most. I mean, well, not don't most. say most. I wouldn't say most. Jesus, please. I mean, the 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 weed sellers they are see. mostly black people in the hood. I'm mm-hmm. not saying most of the black people are selling the hood, but the people who are selling weed uh, in the so hood. So you saying that, that the Latino folks don't sell? Weed? They do, but it's, it's way more in, in my hood anyway. Black it's a lot folks of, is black people. A lot of them. Okay. You know what I'm saying? So 
You know you can get Raheem to get. I know you Raheem. Uh, Raheem can't wait. <laughs> yeah. If you come to him with an idea and say, "Listen, man, we can call a new leaf project." Right. No, that's that's amazing. Some oils. Yeah. So I know people who have machines. They making oils, all type of stuff. Oh, good. They already they figuring it out. <laughs> you know. So that's yeah. great. Yeah. I mean, that's that's yeah. What can people do to help you? What can people do to help New Leaf? It can can folks are you like a C three C four? Like can people uh, donate to you so that you can help others get started? Yeah, people can definitely donate to this work. We are not a non federally recognized non nonprofit, so we're not a C four C three because the feds won't give nonprofit designation to anything that touches cannabis. So that mm. was a new rule under the Trump administration. Mm. No surprise, really. Um, considering that administration, but that's where we are. We're a state recognized nonprofit. But so people donate to us and we have a lot of businesses that give to us because they believe in what we're doing. So other cannabis businesses who, who support this cause, larger businesses who realize that this is something they need to work on is creating diversity in the industry. That means that so for folks listening, what I'm hearing is you can give some money because you believe in it and walk away from it and not expect to have a tax write-off or some type of deduction from the, uh, the, the, the donation that you've given and investment, as my yes. son often says. And, and I think it's important. I'm, I'm definitely going to donate um, because invest. I'm going to invest, certainly, in New Leaf because, um, I, first of all, I buy stuff every day. I eat at least eight times a day because that's just my thing. Um, which it needs to not be because my stomach is not agreeing with the process for how much I eat. But uh, I, I waste money, if you will, on things. And I, but I see this even if it's twenty dollars a week, even if it's a hundred dollars, you know, at a time um, when I see that I have a little bit of change. It's important for somebody to help our people figure out what is a way out of the conditions that we've been in. And it is not fair, and it's it's literally criminal that people have spent years and years and years in prison away from their families because you know, if you get arrested for marijuana or whatever, when you come back to your family that may have Section 8 living in the projects, you can't even return as a man and or woman to your household because of the way that the government subsidies are set up. So we have so many points that our communities have been impacted by um, the, the war on drugs. And I think that we need people like you. We need more Jeanette's out there doing this work and, right. and and helping our people figure out how to navigate this space. So I'm in. We in. You got us, Jeanette. Okay. We need some weed. <laughs> we need some weed. We need some weed money. No, <laughs> I want to sell some weed. Yeah, I will say this, though, about investing. We do have one company that's working with us that's helping us make our loans. And so they're actually going to give us money they get back with a little bit of interest. We do mm -hmm. low interest loans at large sizes for companies mm -hmm. with really slow payback terms to make them very affordable capital. But um, if a company is willing to work with us on a larger scale, they can get their money back. So that's just where did you where, what what industry did you come from? What's your background? Because you sound so, like you you figured out so many things, which tells me that you were doing something that gave you a way to understand business and what people need. 
that's true. Um, um, yeah, so I came from, uh, worked at Coca-Cola for a long time before I got to cannabis. And before mm. that, I did a stint at uh, Home Depot and UPS. So I did some corporate rounds. I started working in corporate early, right out of high school with Inroads. I don't know if y'all know the Inroads program. Mm -hmm. um, it's an internship program that got a lot, got me, someone who none of my family was in business. So this was not something, nobody went in a suit and tie job. So this was not something that I had any my head wrapped around, but um, I spent a lot of time in corporate America, a lot of time understanding business, what people want. I don't know funding. So this is a new world I'm navigating. But if I don't, I feel like if I don't navigate it for us, really understanding where we come from, then who will? Mm -hmm. You know, it's an opportunity to, to do something here. And I landed in this industry and it just feels like um, the time is now for us to take this industry and create that reparative justice, that economic justice that's, that it's due, it's time. It's time for the, the reverse course on where, you know, where income is going for black communities to change. Wow. Jeanette Horton from the New Leaf Project. Yes. It's been amazing. So enlightening. So enlightening. We need another hour and two, you know, talk about this weed, this weed money. <laughs> yeah. we I need, love it. We need, to, we need to visit. We need a meeting. Yeah. We'd love to schedule a meeting with you to discuss um, how we can be helpful. And, and I, we want to make sure also that all our friends are supporting you yeah. because we know we have a lot of friends that's in funding. I'm thinking about our board chair, Monique Eitlett. Do you know Monique? No. Okay. Mm -mm. These are people, I mean, this is what she does is Monique and her partner uh, through Rain Capital, they fund companies and uh, startups, black owned and women owned businesses. Um, and they have a major fund and she's a black woman who's our board chair. Uh, obviously, you know, we know Snoop Dogg, that's he's uh, uncle Snoop is on our board. These are individuals who are already either in the business or they have great connections. And we want to make sure that our people are supporting you and make sure that you get in uh, into places and platforms on the breakfast club and other places. So people can know that new leaf exists because we need you. Yeah. Appreciate that. Thank you. I, yeah, I'd, I'd love to chat more. Thank mm -hmm. you so much. Thank you for being yeah, with us you. today. We're going to get us some weed money. Yes, we are. <laughs> Life's on is crazy. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something we care deeply about here at Black Tech Green Money. State Farm Insurance also cares about the growth of black communities. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help provide financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. We want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. It also requires active sponsorship of programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements along with funding programs like Project Ready, a national urban league program committed to educational achievement of black and brown youth that has awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to date. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. If you're looking for the most epic place on earth, let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, 
keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. I she mean, she really knows some good. stuff. Really good. She's going to get us this weed money, man. Dude, listen, that's what they don't want you to say. Oh, the flower. The flower. No. It's not going to the flower. You know, that is the, that's the clinical term. You know, that is the term, the legal term. So they take yeah. away the negative connotation that has been attached to weed. Mm-hmm. So we have the flower. We're going to get us this flower I'm money. I'm telling you, white people something else. They, they, they just know how to flip it. But With the New Leaf Project, um, we definitely going to. No, really, we should be supporting them. We got to. Got to do that. Got to do that. Yeah. So now we're going to go into our Streets is Talking segment, in which our resident brand expert, Latoya Bond, will introduce somebody doing dope stuff, entrepreneur, owning something, something dope. We don't even know what it is. You gonna be, we're going to be just as surprised as you are. So let's go to Latoya Bond. Let's get it. That's how we own it. Thank you, Tamika and Mice, and welcome to the brand market. I am Latoya Bond, your resident brand whisperer. As we all know, the legal cannabis industry is growing steadily and is now a billion dollar industry. For years, the black community has been criminalized, prosecuted, and jailed for the sale and use of the plant. And of course, now that it is a legal business, we are priced out and policied out of having a seat at the table. For this reason, I wanted to highlight the brand Candelux. This woman of color founder found a way to get her foot in the door with a line of decor-inspired smoking accessories made with a contemporary woman in mind. The goal of the brand is to create smoking accessories you don't want to hide. Here's more about the brand from the founder, Tori Owens. Thank you so much, Toya, for having me. I'm Tori Owens, the CEO of Candelux Co. Our mission is to not only destigmatize what the cannabis consumer looks like with our aesthetically pleasing, luxurious smoking accessories, but we are also here to help position other minorities as owners within an industry that has previously been known to criminalize us. Canna Lux Co. is a firm believer that you do not have to minimize your enjoyment of the plant, nor your belief in its health benefits for the sake of your career, or social judgment. We acknowledge that consumers who indulge in the plant are equally among high profile individuals and we all play an essential role throughout the economy, no matter what tax bracket you may fall in. The best part about our collection is that each piece was curated with a unique intention to provide smoking accessories that you never want to hide. Therefore, each piece double serves as home decor. They each represent an individual who is confident in who they are, confident in the power of the plant, and know exactly what they want. 
If you're interested in purchasing smoking accessories that you never want to hide, please visit us at www.canalux.co. Thank you again for having me. And now back to you, Toya. Thank you, Tori. And thanks so much for creating this brand. Before you guys start calling, texting, and tweeting Tamika and my son, we are not promoting the use of cannabis. However, we are promoting that any business should have people of color represented, especially a business that has criminalized our people for such a long time. So if this is a way to get our foot in the door and get in the industry, we support it 100%. Just gonna sit back and enjoy my wine and my smoking accessories. Oh, and before I forget, if you're interested in having your brand or products featured on the brand market, head over to our Instagram at the BBM agency and click the link in the bio. That's how we own it. Yes, yes. I know y'all throwing off a little bit because our streets is talking segment has came a little, we're a little discombobulated, a little bit. Today. Just today. Talking too much. Talking too much. Yeah. We had other people that were supposed to come. We just improvised. You know, we the number one show. When you the number one show, you figure out how to improvise and on the move, you do what you gotta do. You so you do know what you gotta it's a little do. switch. Shout out to the Toy Bond for this week's segment of Streets is Talking. So that brings me to my I don't get it. You know, since we're talking about Candace, we're talking about these industries. Who Candace? Who's Candace, Candace. bro? You know how you make up words. I, I make cannabis. Uh, the flower. I'm okay, talking about the flower. Okay. The flower. Since we're talking about the flower. The flower. What I what I don't get, right? Like the government is really weird, right? You don't get that? No, I, I just don't get how we don't get it, right? How we've allowed this to keep happening, right? Throughout history, everything is illegal, right? We and, mean everything. Um, Before Prohibition, they was making liquor in the, in the basement, right? Right. Okay. As soon as the government feels, figures out, how can we tax this and make some money out of it, right? Mm -hmm. Right? So what is, I don't get how they continue to criminalize us for things, and then soon as they figure out a way to get rich off of it, it becomes the most legal thing. It becomes every you can't. But it's still criminalized if you are not doing it exactly, exactly as they exactly. are setting the if rules. Not, so if you if you trying to sell right now, if you was making liquor in your basement, they're gonna lock you up. Right. Right. You know what I'm saying? Even though every corner. Every corner, every store, Joe's, because they want to figure out how they can make some money off everything you do. That's right. Like, the reality of the situation is nothing is illegal if they can make money off of it. <laughs> and I just don't get it. I just really And that's everything. It. And that is really Prostitution. Everything. Every industry. If you try to sell your own coochie outside <laughs> and you ain't paying, and you ain't paying no taxes on it. It's illegal. It's illegal. Like, if you just making money. But I don't know. Like, let me see. Where, how, is that really true? Yeah. I'm trying to see how do they sell. It's escort. It's called escorting. You don't actually, you can't say that you're selling the vagina. Which is like flowers. Yeah, it's a flower. You escort, but then they pay, you pay dates. It's a dating service, right? Ah, so that you pay and they tax the data. So they, okay, how much did you make? We're going to need our, our cut. So you can't, they want they cut off everything in the world. And if they don't get a cut, it's a crime. But as soon as they figure out how they can monitor it and make sure they get a cut, it becomes legal. Mm. I don't know why you don't get that. Though. I just don't, I don't get how it's <laughs> legal. How is that right? 
Ah! Yo, how is, how is that how right? How do we go for this? Listen, y'all got research over there? It's actually sex work is legal in New York now. Sex work so is legal So you can legal legally just go sell your... Yeah, but sex work is legal in some places. That's true. But I don't know exactly how it's being Oh, it's being taxed. taxed. Oh, it's definitely being taxed. You have to speak up because the people may not be able to see you, but they can hear you. In Las Vegas, there is the first place to legalize like prostitution and stuff like that. And they have these houses now where like they can tax it to be honestly like a pimp. It's the same way. Wow. And y'all sending the pimps to jail. They get yo, listen to me. They the pimp needs to go to jail. No, but listen to me, but they they Because hopefully there's some kind of Nah, that's not fair. If you choose a a woman's size, you know this guy right here, I want you to make sure I'm safe, control my money, all these things for me. This is what I'm deciding. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. And we got a we got us a thing going. That it's called human trafficking. It's slavery. It's human slavery. They give and do 70 and 80 years. Okay, this. but is there a protection that the government has that you as the pimp, but I don't like that word, you as the business no, partner, the, government is the, the pimp business now. partner, the supporter or whatever, the protector, you can't whip my ass and rape me yourself because then that violates some kind of law. See, the problem with the no, old the school is, a lot pimping... Of, no, that's not true because a lot of... A lot of the people who've been locked up for for these laws, they wasn't beaten. Man, they got a lot. Of, they got a lot. Yo, of crew wasn't. is like ding 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 ding. ding. Look at yes, look. they were. No, no, a lot of them weren't. Man, come on, man. A lot of these them women were being these women were, were brutal. You see over here, we no, had brutalized, raped, um, all kinds of killed. At the hands of somebody so who was supposed oh, wait, wait. to be is the your, is pimp. Is your position that, quote unquote, every pimp who was classified? Not every. No, so that's There's no such, say. no absolute thing And in that's life. what I'm trying to tell you. And there are pimps who have never put their hands on women. I understand that. Who are but I'm saying that I need the- 100 years. Yeah, but for, I understand. For, There's police for officers. For men helping a woman- who who agreed to manage? Right. Okay. Managers. Oh man. It is. Now now we call it managers. That's the thing. But yo, but listen. That's but, all a pimp but, is. But really. listen, um, especially if he's not a violent pimp, it's just a manager. They don't do a lot of work though. Yes, they do. That's they, the problem. The job is for them to protect you. Like if you're going out there, right, and you on the strip, and you out there, and you on the strip. Somebody can just take advantage of you. The pimp is supposed to make sure that nobody takes advantage of you. They don't take your money. You Do you realize? Time. Let me just they let me manage your let money. me help you they understand. Give you place to stay. That's let what me the help you understand what Listen, you're saying. I'm just telling you. But let me help you understand what you're saying. Yes. I my statement was that the pimp manager. He's yeah. now the manager. That's, That's the is. new language. He's the manager. Yeah. He doesn't do a lot of work. And you come back and say, yes, he does. He doesn't have to screw some fat stank thing. Oh no, but he don't. He doesn't have to go out and find his client. Okay, all he has to do no, is clients. get him a little. That's part of his job. The, the, the pimp manages the clients and everything. Man, he looks but... over the people who you go see. He makes sure you're good when you go see him. He might have to. He knows where the, the, the people are. He take if you, if you, you <laughs> does know, he like provide Vegas, residency? Yeah. That's what Vegas Vegas was one of the first people. Then this you go, one over here, look, a man. There's a man on our team that's that's 
He does. He he gives residency. Yeah. Lord, he, this is something he else. Does all here. Those things. But I but but sex work is work. I support it a hundred percent. Um, so I I am not here saying that it's wrong. So you don't. But I do the think that no, it's not that. It's that I no, I support. That's why we've been saying sex work is work, right? Because there has to be some protections and provisions. And so people are not just saying sex work is work because we support prostitution and we just want people to be out here selling their behinds. What we're saying is that we know people are out here engaging in that type of work. And when you politically say with a political consciousness that sex work is work, that means that we're expecting that there be some provisions and some safeties and protections provided for women who are out there. It's just like when we start talking about people who are using drugs and we say that they deserve to be treated as humans. Now that means that they can walk into places and get clean needles. It means that they can get help. They can go, you know, to programs. And so what I'm saying is to your point, you like some, uh, there's a lot of, um, uh, pimps or Man- managers yeah. who Man- never put their hands on a woman, yeah. but there's a lot of police officers who have never unlawfully shot or hurt or harmed a person, right? However, what we're fighting is- for, but we, but well, listen to what I'm saying. We're fighting for federal and local regulations that would make them accountable if they did and also stop people from even having a mentality of the few, right? So that's what I'm saying. The managers need some rules. Of course. I'm not saying, listen to me. Because they didn't have no rules. What I'm trying to tell you is most of these managers are not locked up for assaulting women. They're not in there for assault, harm on the woman. They are in there for being the management, for Nobody cares about whether or not they was doing the stuff to the woman. That's the part. That's the problem. The, the issue is that there is nobody That's that is... Ri- because, by the way, they ain't got no victim because the woman is not getting ready to tell people, well, I was being managed by John. They gone. They don't want to even be caught up in that. So the abuse, the sexual assault, and everything else that happened, they may never even be c- closely connected to that woman that they did it to. Or, you know, they may not ever receive any charges for that. Because at this point... They're being charged for being in the space, for being in the industry, but they're not, it's not many women that's going to show up talking about it. It's like me going somewhere saying, oh, when I was out, you know, when I was using, right? Oh, I got some bad drugs. Who am I going to tell that to? But I hear what you're saying. But I'm just asking you, like, who am I supposed to call and say, I bought Xanax off the street and I'm going to go to the people downtown and walk up in there and say, they sold no, me but, a bad batch. What, what am I going right, to do? I hear what you're saying, but right now, the laws are protecting the sex workers. No, they, oh. they, they, they are because it's sex Oh, now. Women. Yeah, no, I'm saying. Yeah, that's what we're saying. Say. Now, that's why. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to tell you. And you said this, before it was but cool. But right now, that's crazy is if you catch a pimp and a woman who is underneath a, a manager, a manager uh-huh. and a worker, uh-huh. the worker, the, the manager is the only one that's going to go to jail. They're not locking... No, no, look. Oh, we, we're hearing. The, we're hearing no. I think the new process is the woman is not being arrested. They're not. Yeah, yeah, no, she's not in some she's states. Not. She's not. not but, the manager, but, but the but manager, but hopefully the man. Well, because the manager could be a part of what is called sex trafficking, so sir. The, so the traffic cur and the traffic key. Yeah, so do, um, it's, it's different things. If you're being sex trafficked, you're no, you're you're not. You don't have an opinion. Okay, that's what I'm trying to say. But what? So what happens in the the, um, so the way 
the one that had the opinion. If you were an artist, you pay your manager. Exactly. Yeah. So she would have to pay his other manager, and he would have to do his contract. And he, and he would have to put his name on some papers. <laughs> Ah. Oh no, the forcing thing. No, that's yeah, not into yeah. That. But yeah, she's explaining to you how it looks. <laughs> no, that's how it looks though. Yeah, that's how it looks. So that that's how it is. You no, understand? Because yeah. the bottom line is, in, in those situations, like I be trying to tell you, I said, man, we got it bad, man. Like we got it oh, bad. Oh no! Moving bad. on. Yeah, exactly. We got it bad because if me and the, me. Not me per se, a man, a manager, and you know, and a woman decide, yo, we're gonna get some money together. All right, cool, cool. When the police come, woman said, look, I I don't know, I didn't want to do this. You know what I'm saying? Yo, dude, trust me. Yeah, he made me do it. She's like, what? We was in this. No, he needs a professional business. No, no, no. He needs a professional bit. That's what's gonna protect him. He needs a professional business similar to having a club or having. A uh, brothel like, or whatever. That's like the contract I was saying you gotta have for sex now. Hey, I told you, you need a contract. You basically say exactly what I, I, I said. I don't disagree. I never disagree. You, you know, you all said, I'm no, saying you is that no, no, no. You I didn't say that. I never said that. I said you should have a contract. Yet and still, once you have that contract, if you the person the says no, that's no means I mean? no. So exactly. So if I sign so, a contract and I'm your manager. And you say cool, and you go into the room. You can't you make me go into the room. Nah, they make you. You went into the room. You decided halfway through it that you didn't want to do it. And, and the said, man just supposed to come and get you out. And then when he gets you on his out, jaw, and, and he's supposed to log it. Now nah, you supposed to get me out. <laughs> you two minutes, two seconds, it's over. I'm he's, tired. That's right. I, and he's supposed to have to me. He like, mice. He's supposed to have a book. Nah, he's supposed to put it down, and then he's late. supposed to call authorities. Me, I was harmed. It's over. Everything is over. That's not the funny. Contract, I'm saying you. No, but it's not funny. We're it's laughing not. about it, but on a serious note, yeah, we're I'm, we're saying it in I'm a light way. No, we're saying it in a light way, yeah, and it, it sounds whatever. But the bottom line is that a woman's body and her ability to um, process and make decisions um, with her full mind, heart, and soul uh, should always be respected. It should always be that no matter whether you think you're a manager or pimp or whatever they are calling it these days, as they have gone from weed to flower, they've now somehow gone from pimp to manager or whatever it is. Still in all, there is a human in the middle of um, the sex trafficking, I mean, excuse me, the sex work field. And that human, they have, they should have more rights. And they should also have more protections because that person's body is actually being used and in some cases abused. So No, I agree. I definitely agree. Um a woman's body is completely her control, you know. And I just think we need to pay attention because sex trafficking is up, especially in the Bronx, amongst black and Latino women. Yeah. So we need to is. be real careful. It's a young girl that's doing. missing somewhere now that I see on Instagram. They keep posting and she must have been like a beauty pageant or something. And she's missing in some state, um, you know, a, a young woman. And, and and people getting snatched off the streets is That's real. That's really crazy to me. Every time I think about the fact that people being just taken. Right. And just disappearing and nobody's really talking about it. So, you know, we got we to gotta be very mindful of that, you know. And 
The and, brothers need oh, to get Oh, and, and the brothers definitely need some contracts. <laughs> you know, <laughs> For you're sure. a manager, you're just a man, whatever. A man and a manager, if you got an M-A-N at the beginning, get you a contract, champ. You know, to make sure. And and they still can break it. So you just gotta be gotta be real careful, man. Just be everybody everybody needs to be careful. Everybody That's needs to be saying. careful. That's a fact. You know, and so that brings you know, that was the thought of the day was pretty much about the government controlling everything. Yeah, my I don't get it was really about the government controlling all the aspects and how they turn illegal things into legal because they can make money off of it. Yeah. And you know, we came into that, so but we veered back to that. So but I still just don't get how we allow that. Like the government is really genius. They figure out a way to tax everything that we do. So it's true. And until they can tax it, it's a crime. Wow. That's a business. That is a business. America is a business. America is the best at controlling and businessing every <laughs> aspect. They businessing right. every aspect of our lives. Yes. That brings us to the end of another episode of Street Politicians. We appreciate y'all. You have any topics, ideas, any feedback? You want to tell us how dope we are. You want to tell us that we're the number one. We know that part. But if you want to tell us, we appreciate it. Send us some messages, DMs, all of that. Follow Street Politicians Pod on Instagram. Go to Iowa TV if you want to watch the physical show. But on iHeart, Black Effect Network, if you want to listen to it, we appreciate you guys. We really do. appreciate it. All good. Thank y'all for joining. I'm not going to always be right. That's how we own it! State Farm Insurance knows that understanding and investing in our cultural identity is paramount in protecting our future. We know what it's like to go from nothing to something, to wish that we had better financial literacy when we were younger. Luckily, State Farm is here to help. With funding programs like Project Ready, which is committed to education achievement and has already awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to black and brown youth since 2021. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. If you're looking for the most epic place on earth, let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then, trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. Got my Prevna 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us, wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic, and at higher risk, get vaccinated. But, but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't get Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar 20. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar 20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine.